I cannot imagine the reliance on data and the constant reminder that you need the data feeds into a player having high self-esteem, confidence, and all the things we know intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally that go into having a high-level player. Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown, the greatest city in the world here in Tribeca, this is The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Welcome back. We have a uh, middle of the spring and still early spring has a grip on us. It's a damp and cold day outside, but a lot of baseball action, a lot of conversations that I've had that I want to uh, give you some insight into. Um, I'm going to be flying solo today. got a bunch of emails. People want questions answered. Sometimes... uh, I'm going to also give you a little insight into some conversations I've been having with some of my friends in pro ball, uh, whose names will remain uh, anonymous, protect the identity of my pals. Uh, But just some really cool insights as to how things operate and where the game is going uh, in both positive and negative ways. Um, Start off, of course, uh, I got an email recently. Someone was asking me about um, the attendance in Major League Baseball being down. You know, for the first uh, month of the season last year, I believe they set a, a record for uh, attendance and uh, or lack thereof. And this year, they have surpassed a dubious record. Um, and why aren't people coming to the ballparks? Well, of course, the the party line will be weather. Um, but it's been cold in the spring forever, so that's not the only reason. Weather does contribute to a lack of uh, fans in the seats, but I think it goes deeper than that, and I think baseball has some issues that it really has to address, and it has to address them quickly. Some of them are bells they can't unring. Uh, I think baseball um, operated under a false premise that uh, the long ball, a home run, is going to bring people in in droves. Well, there have never been more home runs hit uh, and there have never been fewer people coming to the ballpark. Well, there have been fewer times when fewer people have come to the ballpark, but attendance is diminishing. So I don't know that you can draw necessarily a correlation between the amount of home runs hit and the amount of interest that people have. I think it's actually just the opposite. I think you sold the public short, and the reality is the public wants action. And action can only come when you put the ball in play more and you hit fewer home runs. Uh, The ballparks are tiny. Uh, that's the bell that baseball is going to have the most difficulty unringing. There is no solution for a ballpark that literally uh, you can't hit a triple and you can only hit home runs. Um, the triple is a very exciting play. The relay play, the ball being thrown, the ball being handled by two or three guys on a play is a play that's very exciting. Um, the home run is an action killer. The strikeout is an action killer. What have you had more of than ever before? You've had more strikeouts and you've had more home runs. Uh, that's not going to lead to a more action-packed game. I also believe that uh, the um, proliferation and extended use, expanded use of instant replay has uh, really hurt um, the rhythm of the game and the flow of the game. I've said it since its inception. Replay in baseball is an unmitigated disaster. Uh, It has terrible optics, and it really doesn't do what it was intended to do. It has become a vehicle for 
examining the closest of plays where players are out by the, or safe by the slightest of margins. Uh, and all those factors, I believe, make the game at the ballpark, the cost, the time. Games take a long time. Um, I believe adds up to fewer and fewer people interested in spending an entire day and or night at a ballpark. So um, solutions, well... Um, the first thing I think you need to do is I think you need to get batters in the batter's box and have umpires um, police the game a little bit more with respect to time so games don't take forever. Um, and I also believe that you got to try to, I think it's a natural um, progression that organizations have to make where uh, players have to, you know, you've bred now a generation of players who believe that if you don't hit the ball in the air and hit it far, you're not a good player. Um, that makes its way all the way down into travel ball, into youth baseball. Uh, and it makes the game far less interesting and far more difficult to be successful at. If the only way you could be successful is by hitting a home run, something that a good player does on a major league level once a week and hits 26 home runs. Um, you're going to really have a difficult time selling the game to kids. It's going to become less and less interesting. Youth participation is down. There are a lot of indices uh, that indicate to Major League Baseball that they have some problems and they need to address them and address them right away. A lot of smart guys over at Park Avenue um, have conspired over the last 10 years to make the game far less palatable uh, to the general public. So hopefully um, they call me and uh, ask for a few solutions. I'll be more than happy to give them to Next, a couple of conversations with my buddies in Pro Bowl. I uh, made some notes here. Um, uh, analytics, of course, we hear analytics, analytics. It's all we really hear. Um, and I am a big proponent of information. I, I think inf- information is a great thing. I think that is great. Uh, I've said this before. I think that you have to own the tools that you use. The tools can't own you. And data is a tool. What you get from data, you can use uh, either for good or for evil. Um, and what I believe is happening now is that um, data itself is the end game. Um, a lot of organizations forget the business that they're in. They're really not in the baseball business. They're in the winning business. Um, you got to win. Uh, it's what it's all about. In the end, you want to make money. You want your team to have a legacy. You want to have a parade. You want to get a ring. You've got to win. Uh, and it's far more important to win than it is to do it the way you want people to do it. And what's happening now across Major League Baseball in organizations in the minor leagues is the process is becoming more important than the outcome. Uh, and also, um, we've convinced ourselves, well, I haven't, but they have. They've convinced themselves that more is always better. And I used an analogy today with a friend of mine who's in Pro Bowl about a recipe. You know, sometimes a recipe calls for a little bit of salt and a little bit of butter and a little bit of this. Well, if you just keep adding ingredients, eventually what you're making is going to taste really bad. And you have now organizations that are spending a lot of time on things that are marginal, on things that even if you perfect them, I'm really not sure the net benefit to you is at all worth the cost of getting to that benefit. Things like, you know, prep steps and video of a guy's secondary lead off second base or getting a better jump off third base on a contact play. Um, This to me, even if you were the greatest secondary lead person in the history of the game, I'm not really sure how you're a whole lot better than the guy who's the worst secondary lead guy. Um, And I I just think that there's this search for 
the secret for the answer when the reality is that um, a lot of your success has to do with fate and with good fortune. The ball's got to bounce your way a lot. A lot has to go right for you in order for you to be successful at the major league level or at any level. Uh, and when you start to lose sight of that and you think the equation is algebraic, if then, uh, I, I think you get steeped in an arrogance that's very difficult to extricate yourself from. Um, and I think it has a, a deleterious effect on your player pool. The most important thing that you could have is a an organization filled with really good players who believe uh, and on some level know that they're really good and they can't lose, or they're really good and they can't fail. Um, that, to me, is the single most important thing you could possibly do because at the at the level of professional baseball, uh, the player pool is pretty similar. You know, it's pretty much spread across the league, um, equitably, if you will. So all the players are really, really good. Um, to think that there are going to be big leaps in their ability to produce based on something you come up with through some experiment or some data, I think is foolhardy. I, I, I don't think players make really big leaps. I think that ostensibly every player has a DNA. He's basically a uh, a guy who can run, a guy who can hit, or a guy who can throw. He's a defense guy, and I, and I don't think, uh, you know, in, in all my years involved in the game, I haven't seen guys make these gigantic leaps. Essentially, uh, you take a look at a guy, you take a look at his body and his his ability, and you extrapolate from there based what he can be. Um, and usually, you can be very accurate without a whole lot of experience, without a whole lot of gadgets. The introduction of data. Uh, has turned that uh, on its head. Um, we really do believe that, you know, we could make um, a silk purse from a sow's ear, and you really can't. Uh, players are what they are, um, and they're best developed by taking what it is they already have and bringing it forward, stepping out of their way instead of what the technocrats are doing, which is getting in their way constantly, um, impressing upon them that the process is more important than the outcome. Um, for an example, let's say you have a, a guy who's a left-handed hitter and they constantly shift on him and he's one of your minor league players. Well, rather than teaching him how to succeed by maybe hitting the ball the other way or bunting or forcing the, the defense to respect the fact that he could hit the ball the other way, you're prescribing that he hits the ball over the shift, which means out of the park, which is something that he's only going to do 25 times a year anyway, and he's going to wind up hitting 230. Whereas if he can get a lot of hits, have the defense now respect him, the field opens up to him, he could become more than just a one-trick pony and a one-dimensional hitter. This is happening uh, on a large scale in professional baseball where you're trying to fit the proverbial square peg into a round hole. I think it's a bad idea. Um, I think that, um, you know, teams, uh, over-reliance on data and the accumulation of more at all costs, including, uh, the cost of the self-esteem of the player. When you constantly drone into the head of a player that he is, um, he is reliant on technology, in the absence of that technology, the player has a tendency to feel lost. He now uses that as a crutch. Rather than allowing him to go out, find himself, find his own high water mark by participating in his own fate, uh, what you're really saying to him is that he can't do it unless you stand over him like a bulldozer parent and pave the way for him with your technology. I, I think it's a, uh, I think it flies in the face 
of what the essential ingredient in development is, which is self-reliance and high self-esteem. I cannot imagine uh, You're listening that to the, conversation uh, the reliance on data Weber. and the constant we'll reminder that you need the data feeds into a player having high self-esteem, confidence, and all the things we know intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally that go into having a, uh, a high-level player. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. And we are back. Conversation with Tommy Weber. Welcome aboard on a gloomy uh May 9th, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're going to be playing a lot of golf soon. Um, I had a conversation with a uh, um, pro player friend of mine uh, recently, and we talked a lot about um, you know the organization's uh, impact vis-a-vis data and analytics and what have you. And I, I, I wrote something to him that I thought was really um, pretty much on point, and, I, and I, I, I said this. I said, the reality is what we should never do is limit how the players perceive, imagine, and improvise. Those who value power, position, and control will assert it's all algebraic, if then. They ignore history's best lesson, and this is really true. Don't make plans too far in advance. Fate may have a different idea. See the 1980 Olympic team. Not this game, not tonight. So what I mean by that is when you make it a cold... Uh, calculation uh, and something that's not soulful, uh, something that's not um, uh, cognizant of the stuff that really drives people, of the human nature involved in performance. And I'm shocked that baseball with all its resources and the money and the ability to attract really smart people to organizations really feels to, fails to see. What businesses have known forever, you know, you got to create a great work environment. You got to create a place where people feel not only valued, but welcome. And they have to feel like they're participating in their own future, like they have a say in their fate, that they have control over where they're going, that they're, that you trust their self-reliance. You trust that their best coach is them and that they can be allowed to act intuitively. So that if they feel it, they can do it. If you don't create that, you're always going to have a player who has, in my opinion, an increased degree of fragility. That player is going to always feel like his performance is contingent upon something other than that which he creates on his own. Um, and I really believe that just like we have to shut off our phones every once in a while, it's really healthy for us. I would challenge any organization to try a week without technology and just see how your players respond to that. I really think you need to recover from being inundated on every pitch, 
every out with some kind of outcome, some kind of output from a computer or a radar gun. I really do believe it would be great for development, especially at the minor league level. At the major league level, nobody's listening anyway. All they're looking to do is is win and, and get to the next contract. But the players who are developing, I really think would benefit from some kind of an environment, as we all would, that is technology-free, Every once in a while. It's a good break to have. It's a good thing to do for yourself, and it's a good thing to do for your organization. Having said that, uh, I got an email today about uh, wanting to know my opinion about Joey Cora deciding that he was not going to um, visit the uh, the White House. Um, look, uh, I'm, I am a big, big free speech advocate. Um, uh, and, in, and in being a free speech advocate, I believe the most important speech that you could protect is the one with which you disagree the most. So I, I really do believe uh, that the founders were geniuses when they developed uh, the notion of free speech. And they understood that it meant protecting the speech that somebody abhorred or somebody found grossly offensive. Um, and, um, so I respect Joey Cora's right to, uh, exercise, um, his right to free speech and to say whatever it is that that's on his mind as a baseball person. I'm just not sure, um, that as the manager of the team and the point man for the Red Sox, that it's a great idea to create a fractured clubhouse or potentially fractured clubhouse by having, you know, 25% of you guys stay and 75% of you guys go or vice versa. I think that, um, it's, uh, it's, I think you should be a bigger than your, uh, your grudge or your grievance, irrespective of whether or not it's a valid grudge or grievance and, uh, respect the office. Uh, if you do not respect the person who occupies it, that's fine. The reality is that uh, in our system of government, usually about 49% of the people don't respect the guy who's in office and 51% do. So um, you're not alone. This is not unique. This is not a unique issue with the presidency. Um, But I do believe that it's best for you to, um, as a team, uh, accept the invitation, uh, be the bigger man, and you could still have your issues um, as we all do with people that we, you know, have to be involved with and, um, put on a happy face and uh, accept the honor of, of an invitation to the white house. I, I do believe that's what I would have liked to see Joey Cora do. And, you know, you have the president's ear at that moment in time. And if you have an issue, perhaps that's the time to shake his hand and say, Hey, I'd really like to see you do this or that in Puerto Rico. And, uh, maybe you could effectuate some change, but by, Refusing to go, you certainly foreclose on the opportunity the uh, to Tommy have your voice Weber. heard we'll be right uh, by the president. So that's how I feel about the Red Sox and Joey Cora not going. Um, we're going to come back right after this. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. 
And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back. Um, Another inquiry that I had... um an email from a friend of mine who said, what's up with all these injuries? Um, not only at the major league level, but in amateur baseball and college, kids, you know, big time arm injuries and other injuries as well. Um, I, I think it's impossible um, to attack and address the injury issue. And there is a proliferation of injuries. There's no doubt about it. Uh, more guys are hurt. More guys are on the DL. Uh, and I'll address the DL uh, in a minute, as opposed to the IL. Um, more guys are spending time off the field than ever before. And more amateur players are spending time off the field than ever before. And I and I think, um, you know, Charlie Lau once said, believe what your eyes see, not what your ears hear. And here's what I see. Uh, I see over the course of the last 20 years, um, a tremendous increase, a, a an exponential increase in the amount of time spent in and around the weight room. Uh, I am not some old Oriole who thinks you shouldn't be in the weight room or you shouldn't be conditioned. You should be conditioned, but properly. And you should be conditioned as much for durability as you are for strength increase. I think strength increase is somewhat overrated. Uh, I'd rather be durable and just be as strong as I am. Uh, I don't think you make, I don't think the stronger you get necessarily translates into a better performance. It might be a sporadic a uh, more powerful performance, but I don't believe it makes you uh, overall a better player. But I do think uh, that you need to be a more durable player. Um, and I, I believe that there is a correlation between the amount of time that players are spending in the weight room and the notion that players have been sold that you could become a better player by not playing and spending three months in the weight room uh, has really increased the amount of time they spend indoors lifting weights and developing their body and less time they spend outdoors developing their skills. You need skills to play. Uh, if I had a choice, you know, nine guys who are really skilled and a kind of, you know, not the strongest guys in the world or nine guys who get after it, as so many silly coaches tell me in the weight room, uh, but aren't that skilled, I'm taking the former and not the latter. Uh, so I think there is definitely a correlation. I think it's time, as with as with any story arc, uh, to regroup and reassess what it is you're doing, what the results are, what the benefits are, what the downside is of what you're doing, and maybe recalibrate the way in which, especially in baseball, players are training. Uh, I think that's a, a an integral part of the next 20 years with respect to development. So that's where I stand on that. As far as the disabled list now, um, uh, you know, baseball... Uh, is also, um, I guess, uh, susceptible to the world of political correctness, which is just, you know, infected every part of our society. And uh, baseball, I guess, is not immune to it. Um, not only is baseball not immune to it, but baseball doesn't have the spine to sort of stand up to it and say, listen, at some point this has gotten ridiculous. Um, so they changed the disabled list to the injured list. I guess because saying disabled somehow offended somebody who was, in fact, disabled. Um, and uh, it's a good thing baseball is protecting us from the word disabled now. There is only one problem with that. 
every player that's injured is not disabled. There are a lot of injured players who play. Um, when you cross the line of not being able to play, you are disabled. So the disabled list really did accurately describe the state of a player. Uh, you, there are a lot of players who are playing the Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, whatever team you that are injured, you know, small little injuries. The point at which it makes it impossible for you to play or not able to play, you are at that point, in fact, disabled. Um, and if we extrapolate this to its most ridiculous conclusion, when you listen to the traffic report in the morning and the guy in the helicopter says there's a disabled car in the right lane, well, he is accurately describing that the car is not able to move. Therefore, it is disabled. And I don't mean to get on a soapbox here, but I'm on it. And at some point, someone has to say, enough is enough. I mean, we've really we've gone as far as we can to protect everyone's fragile feelings. Uh, we're going to stop right here. Um, to that end, I want to thank the Yankees for protecting us all from Kate Smith as they recently fired Kate Smith's rendition, a fabulous, epic rendition of God Bless America at Yankee Stadium because Kate Smith, as a kid breaking into the music business 80 years ago, uh, sang a song that had some racial overtones. That same song was sung by no uh, less a uh, a bigot than Paul Robeson, who was an African-American black activist who sang the same exact song. Be that as it may, um, Kate Smith also donated, as many entertainers did during World War II, her performances uh, for the war effort. Um, and um, we have now gone so far in an effort to get ahead of an issue that didn't exist. Uh, literally, I don't know that anyone uh, would have made any stink over Kate Smith's rendition of the uh, God Bless America uh, which came into favor right after the September 11th attacks downtown um, and had become a part of Yankee tradition. But the Yankees, who uh, lost their spines a long time ago when they sold out to Major League Baseball and started wearing different uniforms and white spikes and pink ribbons and light blue and red, white, and blue for the sake of a buck, now choose this hill to die on. And um, I just wonder if at some point in time... Um, you know, they, they don't understand that, in fact, you may be sparing the feelings of some very, very highly sensitive people, uh, but you also may be alienating uh, even more than that. Um, and um, I'd like to see uh, what the future says about that. So um, that's my take on it. Um, these are all issues that I've been asked to speak about. I'm speaking about them. I'm on my own here today. Um, it's a gloomy May day, hopefully. Uh, tomorrow the weather breaks and uh, we have a, a long run of fabulous weather. Um, I want to also, I wanted to talk about um, something that's really, really difficult that a couple of our guys uh, who I'm very close to uh, have done this season. You know, with elite players, uh, the stakes are really high and they're real stakes. This isn't like travel ball stakes or some dad who thinks his kid's going to make the big leagues. These are kids who really have or are on the precipice of having their lives changed uh, with the draft coming up in June. And um, one of the hardest things to do is when the spotlight shines on you the brightest is to perform your best. There have been very few uh, athletes that I have seen, um, 
you know, who, who have done that. You know, Joe Montana comes to mind when the spotlight was the brightest, Joe was the best. And, um, I have a couple of guys that I, I think are worthy of mention. Um, Dom Canzone at Ohio State has had just a fantastic year. He's in his junior draft year. He's draft eligible. And, um, you know, the, the, the stakes are very high, and Dom has just had a fantastic year and done everything he possibly could uh, to put himself as high up on that draft board as he could possibly be. And, and he's to be congratulated for that. And the other, of course, is Hunter Bishop, my buddy. Uh, Hunter, uh, just uh, a world of ability, just a really, really special physical specimen and also one of the finest young men that I've ever been around and one of my best friends. We've really gotten close and uh, I just can't um, say enough about when the spotlight was the brightest on a guy who... The expectations were the highest. He has performed the absolute best. And for both of these guys, um, if they outlawed baseball tomorrow, it's something that you really should be extremely, extremely happy, satisfied, uh, and, and, and have great, uh, be very gratified for having done because it is one of the hardest things to do. You really uh, need to take stock in these moments that although you know, you haven't gotten where you want to get yet. You have to revel in the fact that you've gotten to where you are because you've done it in a fashion that is the most difficult. The light shined the brightest, the most was expected of you, and you performed, you exceeded all expectations. So uh, congratulations to Dom and to Hunter, my buddy. Uh, I love you guys. And, um, I expect fabulous things in in June, and I can't wait to see where it all goes. So I'm just happy to have been a very, very small part of it, and um, uh, I just know it's going to be all great stuff for both of you. So um, we are going to wrap it up here on uh, in early May. Um, I want to thank Big Mike for doing the engineering, and we are going to leave you with the genius of... Freddie Mercury and Queen. Cleo, I love you.
Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Um...